evening, everybody, and welcome to Resistance TV. It's Wednesday, the 14th of September, and you're joining us live. Um, I'm Mandy Clare. I'm a local councillor, and I'm also a member of the Resist Steer Committee. Um, and I'm happy to be hosting another session of our Sex in the Summer series. Um, this one tonight, um, we're going to be discussing questions such as how can we ensure that councils' uh, advice and guidance to schools tallies with government guidance and with the law. Um, we're going to be looking at whether we should expect a politically um, balanced education for our children and whether organisations like Mermaids really should be anywhere near providing services and advice uh, to councils, to schools, to parents um, on gender issues. Um, safeguarding is a huge and complex area that there are many strands of current uh, that there are many strands of the current trend in guidance given out to schools by councils and training taken up by schools themselves that really appear to run contrary to government guidance and legislation surrounding safeguarding. So we're going to have a look at what it means in practical terms as well for schools um, in safeguarding. So I would like to welcome onto the show um, Tanya Carter, who's from the organisation Safe Schools Alliance. Hi, Tanya. Hi, Mandy. Good to be here. Thanks for coming on. Um, so it's great to have you on the show. Um, before we begin, I thought I'd just remind everybody that we normally have a session for question and answers um, from the chat towards the end of the hour. Uh, so if people would like to post comments, please do. If you've got questions that you'd like to ask Tanya about schools, about safeguarding, about mermaids, or about um, guidance from councils or any of those things, um, then please do pop them in the chat and we'll come back to those as many of them as we can later on. Um, so could I begin by asking you, first of all, Tanya, if you could tell us a little bit more about your organisation, Safe Schools Alliance. Alliance, why you started it and what kind of things you do. Hi, right. Well, Safe Schools Alliance, um, we officially launched in 2019. We're a group of parents, grandparents, governors, teachers and other professionals concerned with children. We came together from all over the country because we were all concerned about what was going on in our local schools and just by networking, meeting at events, been put in touch with friends of friends we'd come together in quite a large group and we became aware that these little issues we were having in our local schools with safeguarding being un undermined um, they weren't just isolated issues they were part of a national picture and um, we became aware that they were going on in schools up and down the country we were particularly having a problem at the time with Oxfordshire County Council and their trans inclusion toolkit and after legal action, that toolkit has now been withdrawn and others have been as well. But we continue to have problems in Oxfordshire with what's going on in the schools, even though the toolkit has now been withdrawn. Um, many people in our group are either themselves or the parents and carers of either lesbians, gay, gay men, um, bisexual individuals or trans identified individuals. And we were particularly concerned about the fact that this trans inclusion toolkit, it was actually placing in harm's way those very children that it claimed to help. It was removing children from normal safeguarding frameworks. The minute they said that they identified as trans, it was removing the parents from the equation. And school, schools just aren't in a position to do that. Courts can remove parental responsibility from parents, but schools can't do that. Um, and parents, in most cases, very few parents actually want to harm their children. And in most cases, parents are a protective factor. So it's very important that they're involved in the care of their under 18s. Mm. And it, 
wasn't just individual children this guidance was damaging to it it was failing in its public sector equality duty because it wasn't taking account of the rights of any other child other than that trans identified child wasn't taking account of other children in schools particularly girls when it was saying things like a boy who identified as a girl could instantly use the toilets the changing rooms share overnight accommodation join in with the girls sports um that's very damaging um to the girls having their boundaries overridden like that it's not helping that trans identified child um to be included and accepted in a school setting because this is this is obviously going to um cause a lot of bad feeling girls having to accept a pupil in their changing rooms that they've previously known as a boy and it's leaving the school wide open to legal action which yeah. we we did well we didn't take against the council we supported a 13 year old girl who wanted to challenge the toolkit against the council and that mm. has now been withdrawn but the attitudes remain and there are still a lot of problems in oxfordshire with children's rights being undermined and we're trying mm. to gradually sort of roll that back and get safeguarding re-established in Oxfordshire and in other areas of the country. Yeah. So it's like with many areas of gender ideology, we're having to do so much work just to try and recover ground that we'd had taken decades to put in place in the first place and that everybody was familiar with. And it's quite surprising, isn't it? Because anyone who's involved with schools is expected to understand about safeguarding and most people will have had repeated episodes of safeguarding training I know I I have yeah um just from from work that I've done for councils over the years and within the voluntary sector I've been through training courses on safeguarding but so much of what seems to be coming through is ideological it's politically biased and it kind of rides a coach and horses through everything that we know and understand and have achieved around child safeguarding. And it's kind of amazing, isn't it, to, to think yeah. that people who've had that training, who've got that basic awareness and understand that that should be paramount, are allowing themselves to be pulled along with this trend. Yeah, it's really scary that people can go to all the safeguarding training, um, parrot all the catchphrases like... Mm -hmm think the unthinkable, you never know anyone well enough. But when it comes down to it on the ground, people don't seem to be applying this. They're mm. not thinking the unthinkable. And here the unthinkable is that um, a toolkit that has been put in place to support trans-identified children in schools is actually mm. doing the very opposite and is endangering those very children that it claims to protect. Mm. And we really need people to show some professional curiosity and think and speak up and not just accept what they're told, to challenge mm. what they're being told, to protect those mm. children that are relying on them. Do you have any um, examples of, um, not, not, maybe not um, teachers, who would like to speak up but have felt too afraid, afraid of losing their job or afraid of being ostracized at work do you think that that's a big factor is it a lot of this down to fear of what oh, you're yeah, allowed to say out loud and we've certainly been contacted by a lot of teachers who have recognized the safeguarding concerns here and are very concerned about what's going on their school on in their schools and it's really concerning when you're getting teachers who have recognized the safeguarding concerns but their head teachers and their governing bodies 
who are the ones who should have all the advanced safeguarding training, have seemingly not recognised these problems. In some cases, we're seeing this pushed in schools by the designated safeguarding lead. So the yeah. very person who is supposed to be upholding safeguarding in the school is pushing this ideology, which is unpicking picking safeguarding. So we have mm -hmm. a lot of teachers contact us and we give them advice on whistleblowing to the Department for Education, helping mm -hmm. them to push back and challenge in their schools, raise yeah. the issues at staff meetings. But really, they, they shouldn't be having to do this. This is down to head teachers mm. and safeguarding leads and governing yeah. bodies to be scrutinising these policies and um, spotting the problems. Safeguarding yeah. isn't standalone. It's something that has to, has to be embedded throughout your organisation and has to run through every single policy. Yeah. Okay, so I've got um, I've sent you this document, which is a document that I got hold of called the Trans Inclusion Guide for Schools, which was produced by Cheshire Western Chester Council, and I'm a yeah. councillor on, on on that council. Um, for you to have a look at. So the reason that I got hold of this document is because because I've tried looking for it online, but it wasn't immediately obvious where to get hold of it on our council website. But I'm pleased that I have got hold of it. Um, but I'll just go through for viewers the context and the background as to how I how I came to have hold of the document. And then if you like, we could go through bits of it. Either I can read out bits or you can pull out bits that you've um, you might want to make any comments on or whatever. Because I think what, what's positive is, is that within Cheshire Western Chester Council, they have said that they are willing to look at other sources of guidance. Um, so it seems as if the door is open for them to look at reshaping this guidance in a more balanced way. So that's a real positive. Um, so hopefully, I'll, you know, with that said, it will be useful exercise to kind of go through it and just have a look at how it could be improved, maybe, um, or it could be more balanced. So basically, I, I, as a counsellor, you get to ask questions formally of anyone on the uh, cabinet or the, the or the leader of the council, and you can put those in writing before the full council meeting where everyone gets together, um, and they're published publicly. So these questions that I put together for the leader of our council are published online on the council's website, and you're also entitled to ask follow-up questions. It's called supplementary questions. So the answers that I got to the bunch of questions that I asked were a little bit vague and woolly the first time around. Second time around with the supplementary questions, I got some more firm answers, not, not in all cases, but for some of the questions. So the questions were um, whether we collect data correctly as a council. So whether we have um, category of sex, which is a protected char characteristic, um, and we've not replaced that with gender. I think it's fine for people to collect gender identity question as an additional thing, um, but sex shouldn't be left out and replaced by gender. So I asked them about that and we do, and that's good. So that's great. I asked them whether we support single sex rape crisis and domestic abuse support services and refuges, and we do. We do support single sex provision still within the borough. So that's cool. Um, I asked whether we continue to make available single sex options when it comes to toilets and changing rooms. And again, we do keep single sex options available. So that's great. I went in um, Primark today um, and I tried something on and on the way in, I was told that the changing rooms are now unisex and to make sure that I close the curtain properly. 
so I didn't buy anything I just came out without buying anything but I just and I heard them repeating that same mantra to everybody that went in but it's so easy just to stick a camera under a curtain isn't it or over there it's just just a bit of a nightmare um I asked whether we ensure our officers um don't feel pressurized to comply with things like stating their pronoun pronouns or believing in or going along with gender ideology so for example um the belief that trans women are literally women um whether the belief that it's possible to literally change from one sex to the other, um, or whether gender identity should take priority over sex when it comes to certain spaces and services. Um, and I've been assured that we that we don't put that pressure on our staff. Um, I've asked also whether we fund, host or promote adult entertainment forms as family friendly. And this the answer that came back on this one was pretty vague at first they said no we'd never dream of you know mixing up the boundaries between adult ed entertainment and child entertainment so i asked a more specific question about whether we would ever host or promote or fund um drag queen story hour uh, for children within the borough or on council premises and then within a couple of days of me asking that question <laughs> we hosted drag queen story hour as the star event at a, an event that was advertised as a, a pride family day event in chester um so i i then got an answer back which was clear which stated that we had funded drag queen story hour in libraries since 2018 and would continue to do so so heels being dug in on that one um so i asked um given the cast review interim findings whether we um, avoid diagnosis of gender dysphoria in schools, refer on a broader specialist, uh, refer on for broader specialist support rather than affirm children who are gender confused, make sure teaching materials are politically balanced and comply with safeguarding guidance and legislation, ensure that schools aren't providing any education that um, suggests kids who are non-gender conforming have been born in the wrong body, ensure that schools keep parents informed and basically are legally and guidance compliant in any advice that we give. And the answer that I got back to that, which you will have seen, um, is basically that um, that the responsibility needs to be put back onto schools. Um, in every single every single question that I asked there, the responsibility was batted back away from the council, back towards the schools. Despite the fact that we've got this trans inclusion policy and a, um, a trans inclusion guidance and a model policy that schools are going to, all of them, you know, most of them, if not all of them, are going to just follow and they're going to they're going to take that on trust so um the answer also stated that the guidance that we provide oh no that all of the training provided within schools complies with the equality act 2010 and the human rights act 1998 but when i read through it i wasn't so sure about that um and then i asked whether we ensure that any guidance from us to schools was validated by experts in equalities law and child safeguarding because i know that there is this this, this trend of lobby groups providing very politically biased um, training within schools. And again, the, the responsibility was batted back to schools by the council leader. And I was told, um, and I quote, schools are responsible for producing their own school policies based on national guidance and legislation that fits the ethos and values of their own individual settings. So it's kind of like, it's nothing to do with us. We've put this guidance together, but if people want to follow it or not, that's on their own head. Um, and as far as we're concerned, it's all, all legally compliant. So that's the stock answer that was kind of applied to all of them. So I wondered if we could have a closer look at that guidance document from Cheshire West and Chester Council, just to see if there is any kind of prosecution risk, really, whether it's for head teachers or against councillors or the council. I don't know who it would be taken against, but it would be great to have your thoughts on it. 
I think if it's an academy, the liability would rest with the school. If it's an LA-controlled school, though, and they've taken advice from the council, then yes, I think the council would be liable in that case. The case would mm -hmm. be against the council. Okay. So in terms of the guidance itself, how do you want to do this? Do you have you got notes, or have you got have you got any I've, of it committed to notes. memory? Or I, can't, I can't see them okay. at the moment. I've got notes. I think is yeah. it the trans policy template was the first one I looked at. Uh, no, I think the trans the trans um, policy the model policy is based on the thicker document, which is that one. Right. Is the, yeah, the guidance document. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I think my my first thoughts on the on the template policy was that I thought it was a breach of the 1996 Education Act in that it was presenting contested ideas such as gender identity as fact and it, mm. there are difficulties with the fact that the Department for Education guidance to relationships and sex education says that schools must teach the facts and the law around gender identity but the yeah. difficulty there is that gender identity isn't mentioned in any laws in this country. Mm. Um, it's not legally defined. And there don't appear to be any actual facts against gender identity because it is a heavily contested area. Mm -hmm. And not everybody means the same thing um, when they say gender identity. And it's a, it's a very hot topic at the moment, which is still sort of under debate and there's a lot of arguments about. Um, and yet this model policy seemed to think that gender identity was fact, that everybody yeah. has a gender identity and that we were all agreed on this. So my first thoughts on it was that it's just a complete breach of the Education Act because it's such a political document. Yes, right from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, that's been taken to the High Court, hasn't it? And people have the legal right not to go along with that belief in gender yes. identity, that that's been something that's been proven in court. So yeah. not everybody's expected to go along with that ideology or those beliefs. And so therefore, it's already unbalanced if it's taking them as fact rather than as an opinion that some people have. And as you said, yeah. it's not 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 protected in the law. As the protected characteristic is gender, recogni uh, gender recognition. Yeah, Gender, gender reassignment. Yeah, sorry, yeah. So, but that applies to adults, doesn't it? It doesn't. It's it's never been tested in court um, right. whether it applies um, to children in schools or not. Some people think it does. Some people think it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, regardless of whether it does or it doesn't, schools shouldn't be discriminating against any of their pupils for any yeah. reason. And yeah. all people are entitled to the same standard of care and yeah. to be safeguarded yeah and um, schools sorry go on yes no no carry on it's a... and schools should be the best thing schools can do for children who are gender non-conforming or who are trans identified is really to challenge sexist stereotypes challenge gender stereotypes and reassure all the children that there is no right way to be a boy or a girl that all the subjects are for all the boys and all the girls and all the toys are when you're dealing with younger children all the toys are for all the children whether it's boys or girls so that's mm -hmm. really what we want to get schools doing to protect all children is to be challenging gender stereotypes and having a really robust anti-bullying policy 
in place that they do act on so that children are not made to feel um, unwelcome because their interests aren't, aren't what we've decided is stereotypically normal in this culture. And you want children to be accepted within the school community so that they're not having to look for support online and then starting to chat to strangers and people who may um, take them even further away from their friends and their family and real life. Yeah. Um, so on page, I'm just looking on page four, I think it would be, of this document, it says there's been an increase in recent years of children and young people coming out as trans and non-binary. But the CAS review and Bra uh, Suella Braverman has also commented on this, Suella Braverman MP, the CAS review sort of points out quite clearly, the interim review in any case, that we can't really frame it as a coming out in the same way that we might have done years ago when people came out as gay, which for most kids would happen, you know, at a later stage of their, it would be like during puberty or post puberty. But this is looking at children. It doesn't, the document isn't dated. It doesn't say what date it was created or when it's going to be reviewed. Um, it says it's based on best practice, but it, other than referencing mermaids, gendered intelligence and gyres, um, it doesn't doesn't say where that best practice can be found. Um, and the CAS review actually sounds a note of caution, doesn't it, around whether this is a question of children coming out because it's now acceptable to come out as trans identified or whether it could be other factors at play. And Suella Braveman commented on that as well, on the number of um, the change in the profile um, so that there's far, far more girls yeah. uh, than boys. And, and it's a different, completely different profile than ever before in history, before this kind of social push started. Um, and then we've got an overrepresentation of kids from looked after um, from care and an overrepresentation of kids with autism and that really this needs to be looked at within the whole sphere and there needs to be safeguarding processes in place around anyone who, who says that they are confused around their gender because there could be any number of things going on. So it's a very obvious sort of safeguarding alert, isn't it, if, if a child actually presents and they're confused around this issue. We hope that the school and the the education that the school's been providing hasn't led to that confusion through the sort of stereotyping that you've mentioned. Um, but whatever it is, that's something that needs unpacking. And it's a lot more complex than someone being able to say that it's a process of coming out and being celebrated and supported and confirmed in the same way as might happen with an older kid who's coming out as 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 being gay. Would you oh, agree? Yeah, absolutely. We, we need to be taking a much more holistic approach to these children. You can't just go for an affirmation only model. I mean, the research that we do have shows that um, children who experience gender dysphoria or children who identify with the opposite sex, mm. if they're left alone, once they go through puberty, um, about 80% of them will desist when they're not socially transitioned. And the most likely outcome for those children is that they will become lesbian or gay adults. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be really careful that we're not taking children who are confused about their sexuality and embedding choices that they make mm -hmm. as children that then take away choices from them as adulthood. I mean, mm. obviously, we've improved a lot in this country with regards to acceptance and homophobia has been challenged. But there are still homophobic attitudes about. 
and children will feel strange if they get into the age of puberty and most of their friends are starting to fancy someone of the opposite sex but Mm. they fancy someone of the same sex as themselves that's still a different experience for them Mm -hmm. to the majority of their peer group and if they're then going online and reading stuff that says if they fancy somebody of the same sex of them that may mean that they're actually the opposite sex that's really confusing for them and we'd expect schools to be challenging misinformation that children find online Mm. not reinforcing it and really Mm. what you need to be doing with children is you need to make absolutely sure that they don't make choices when they're children when they're too young to make decisions that take away um choices for them in adulthood yeah the point of safeguarding is to get every child to 18 as unscathed and with as many opportunities as they possibly can do. And if Mm -hmm. you're putting a child at the age of 11 and 12 on a path towards medication and surgery that could ultimately um, result in their sterilization and loss of sexual function, that's Mm. really, really harmful. When if that child was just left alone and supported to pursue what interests they wanted, dress how they wanted, Um, without having to make a decision that they were really the opposite sex, if we use watchful waiting instead Mm. of affirmation, that child can be allowed to grow up and and make decisions for themselves as an adult. And research does show that the most likely outcome for those children is that they will just be a lesbian or gay adult. But it may take them a little while longer to work out who they are because they maybe are having different experiences of adolescence to the majority of their peer group. Yeah. Um, I'm just reading on through this document as well, and I've come across this paragraph on page seven, which says, in Stonewall's school report, so it quotes Stonewall and a bunch of Stonewall statistics. And we know that some of the statistics that have come out of Stonewall around uh, suicide in particular, that and this idea that if we don't affirm someone in their new gender, that they're, you know, this huge risk of, of suicide. We know that, that um, those statistics were quite, they were on quite shaky ground in terms of the science behind them and the robustness of them. But that, that, that you know, I, it says here, um, of the trans people that they uh, surveyed, 64% were bullied at school. And I'm just kind of cautious about that statistic because of the caution around the other statistics in terms of suicide. I mean, what do we know about that? Is there any possibility that there could be other factors at play? Because we know that um, a very high percentage of kids who are identifying as trans also have these other things going on. You know, either there is, um, there's autism or there's self-harm or mental health problems or they're in in care or there's other problems at home um, or they may be just that they that they are going to grow up to be gay and they've started to have different feelings and they don't know what those are or how to make sense of them or they feel there's homophobia and they don't you know they don't want to go there um what what do you think about that statistic and the other thing is that comes to mind is the statistic around girls and the amount of misogynistic bullying that there is of girls as a protected group and i think of the girls that were interviewed and i don't know who did the interview and how comparable it is in terms of robustness but it was something like nine it was a 97% or something of girls had experienced misogynistic abuse within schools have you got any thoughts around around that or around a council quoting Stonewall statistics, just knowing how rocky some of their other work has been? 
Yeah, but these suicide statistics, I think, is this the study that had, was this the study that just had 27 people in it in the end? That, yeah, some that was the, one of them. Yeah. yeah. Some of the And self-selecting. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're really... They're really dodgy, for want of a better word, some of these statistics. I mean, obviously, we want all children supported in school and help with their mental health, and no child should be bullied. But like you say, we have really robust data on what girls are experiencing in school. I think it was 2017, the NEU and UK Feminista did a really big bit of work on what girls are subjected to in schools, which was called it's just everywhere. And what came out of that, that um, people seem to find um, quite shocking what teenage girls were being subjected to in schools. And we've had more research since then, which has found the same things. And obviously we've had the whole everyone's invited scandal, which is just appalling what girls are subjected to in schools. So that's something yeah. that's got to be looked at. Why are some girls trying to opt out of being girls would yeah. they be trying to opt out of being girls if sexual harassment was properly tackled if they were aware that there wasn't just one way of being a girl I mm. mean girls seem to be being sold stereotypes of being very girly even more than they perhaps were 20 years ago yeah. And they need to be reassured in school that it's absolutely fine if you do want to go in for the long hair and the makeup and the nails. If that's mm -hmm. your thing, that's fine. But mm -hmm. plenty of good girls don't go in for that. And yeah, yeah. if you don't go in for that, that's equally fine. Mm -hmm. And when we're dealing with things like girls who suddenly start binding their breasts and cutting their hair off that's mm. the basic of safeguarding that you investigate sudden changes in children's appearance and behavior mm. and if you've got a girl who's suddenly very uncomfortable with her female body cutting her hair doesn't want to attract attention to herself um questions have got to be asked about why is she um suddenly so uncomfortable with being female what has gone on? Has something mm. actually happened to her? Or is it just the culture she's living in? So mm. there's, a, there's a lot of questions we need to be ask, asking and not just making assumptions that everything can be solved by one thing. It's yes. about treating children as individuals and really looking into going into look, really looking into what's going on in their lives and mm -hmm. making sure that they've got the support that they need. Mm. I was quite shocked um, looking through this guidance that, that with the, all of the emphasis seemed to be on affirming um, someone in their new gender and um, and relating that to, you know, people who uh, signs and symptoms that are gender non-typical or uh, gender non-conforming and a real absence of concern about girls as uh, you know as as they sit within that protected characteristic of sex and quite surprised as well um that there was this 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 document seems to leave it open for schools to make individual decisions about whether boys um can say use the girls toilets or sleep in the same dormitory if they go on overnight trips as girls get changed in the same spaces as girls 
that does that comply with the Equality Act? Does that breach? I mean, I know Suella Braveman also had some things to say about that, and I can go to some of her quotes and things. But just from your experience and your viewpoint as Safe Schools Alliance, where do schools sit in terms of the Equality Act and and the um, I don't know that their obligation to protect girls? Well, there's exceptions in there's exceptions in the Equality Act for these situations that make it very clear that when you're dealing with um, sleeping accommodation in schools, that is separated on the basis of sex mm -hmm. and not gender identity. And the question I've always put to MPs and lords and everyone I've met with is, if a school has a school trip and two children share a room because they have yeah. the same gender identity but they're a different biological sex and an underage pregnancy occurs because of that yeah. sharing the room um who who is liable there and everyone i've ever asked that has said to me oh well that wouldn't happen because there is this exception in the equality act showing that um dormitories can still be separated on the basis of biological sex and yet we frequently receive mm. emails from parents very concerned mm. that um, schools are, are not separating children on the basis of biological sex mm. which is just it's really shocking that people just seem to have abdicated their duty to safeguard children like this yeah. we, we've had we've had the parents of trans identified children um contact us that they too are concerned about the position that the school is putting their child in by putting mm. them in mixed sex accommodation mm. it's just it's yeah. just not something that should isn't not something that should be happening and the exceptions are there in the equality act to prevent it we understand that lobby groups have been misrepresenting the equality act to school mm. but ultimately when something goes wrong um, the liability will rest with the schools and schools mm -hmm. really do need to be getting on top of this and making clear decisions based mm -hmm. on safeguarding all children. Yeah, and there's always the possibility that if the council has put that guidance out, I mean, whether the council would ever end up being liable or not is a big question, isn't it? Because um, we had the example of, in the, Alice, um, the, the High Court case just recently, Alison Bailey, Stonewall had given... The employment advice to Garden Court Chambers, and and, and um, Alison Bailey was prosecuting um, Stonewall and Garden Court Chambers, but it was the middle, sort of the middleman, which was Garden Court Chambers, that had implemented the advice they'd been given, that was uh, found to have been guilty, and Stonewall, who'd given the advice, got away with it, which seems wrong, um, and we don't know whether the same thing would happen with schools, but it's interesting that Oxford council retracted their advice have they replaced it with something better then or um no there is nothing at the moment but on the right. ground there are still poor decisions being made we're still he hearing from parents in oxford mm. who have got children um with classmates who are being socially transitioned and they're very concerned both about their own for their own children Mm. and for their classmates who are being socially transitioned. So there's yeah. still a lot of issues in Oxfordshire.
It's like trying to stop a tanker, isn't it, or something? It's kind yeah. of going at full speed. And even though our council has removed itself from the Stonewall, um, I can't remember the name of it, but the awards list, whatever it is, the register that they had, um, we're not registered with them anymore. We don't we don't subscribe to that um, award scheme. But they but the but the culture that's been created through all of that training and indoctrination just keeps going just yeah. keeps going and keeps going and you can see it in everything that they produce around this issue and it's almost like the blinkers are on and there's nothing anyone yeah. can say yeah really strange yeah. phenomenon in um this guidance uh under section seven legal context it says the equality act protects pupils who are undergoing a social transition for example by uh, going go protects people who are undergoing a social transition, for example, going by a preferred name or pronoun. Now, Suella Braverman, um, Attorney General MP, um, said the opposite of that when she gave her speech over the summer. So in terms of social transitioning, she raised the alarm um, and pointed to the CAS review interim findings around this, at saying that the social transition, tra social transitioning of kids in school isn't a neutral act, and we have to take account of the change in profile and all of the questions that that raises, um, and a safeguarding approach basically has to be taken. So she said, um, she said to emphasise again, before going ahead with social transition, schools should get the best multidisciplinary team around the table, including clinical professionals and parents in children's healthcare. The legal presumption, as you said before, is that parents act in the best interests of their children unless, until and unless there are strong grounds to suggest otherwise. There is no other situation where a school would make a significant life-changing decision about a child without involving the parents. These children should not be treated any differently. And further, she says, to emphasise again, before going ahead with social transition, schools should get the best multi-agency disciplinary team around the table, including clinical professionals and parents. In children's health care, the legal presumption is that parents act in the best interests of their children. Until an... Uh, until and unless there are strong grounds to suggest otherwise, there's no other situation. Oh, sorry, I've repeated the same thing. Um, so, yeah, so that's what she said. Um, and it is, it, it just does feel as if it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter what anybody says. The law says what it says. And the Attorney General says what she says. And National Guidance says what it says. And the CAS Review says what it says. But nobody within the council and nobody within the leadership within schools is really listening. The, the, the social transition, it's not a harmless, neutral thing to facilitate, you know, within the school environment. Oh, no. I mean, this, the schools should be concerned in the first instance about are they causing harm to a child? And yeah. secondly, um, they, should, they should be concerned about their legal liability yes. because ultimately if a child is harmed on their watch, that they will be held responsible. And mm. if they're an academy school, they can't say, oh, well, the council said this because it will be the school that is responsible for accepting the bad guidance, not the council for giving the bad guidance. Mm. What about um, transphobia? Because the section nine says preventing transphobia and supporting trans children and young people. I mean, A, is there any such thing as a trans child? And B, what is transphobia? Does any do you know of any council that's actually come up with a definition? And is there a definition in law? 
Um, well, well, this is the issue, isn't it? What What is transphobia? I'm not aware there's any definition in law. Again, mm. we think that schools could deal with this by robustly challenging sexist behaviour and robustly challenging homophobia. Mm -hmm. Th these are things that schools should be doing because in some cases we're seeing it framed as girls trying to assert their own boundaries mm. as transphobia yeah. and um we we can't have that school saying to girls oh no if you don't let a boy in the changing room with you you're being yeah. transphobic that yeah we cannot have that as a definition of transphobia we've got yeah. to be challenging sexism and we've got to be challenging homophobia and schools mm. have got to have really robust anti-bullying policies in place what about um use of toilets do you know what the law says around that um well, over the age of eight, children are entitled to have single-sex facilities um, at schools. And again, mm -hmm. we would say that single-sex facilities, not single-gender. Yes. Obviously, you've got a child who's suffering from gender dysphoria and is really too distressed to use the toilets with mm -hmm. um, other members of their sex. Schools are going to have to put some provision in place for that child to be able to use toilet facilities on their own but mm -hmm. they cannot just send that child into the opposite sex toilets because then you've got safeguarding issues you've got liability issues and you've got to consider the rights of all the children in your care these are tricky situations and schools mm -hmm. have to balance rights all the time but mm -hmm. anytime you prioritize one child's rights over another's you are putting yourself in a position where you're likely to have a legal claim against you or at the mm. very least you'll get parental complaints. Yeah. So, I mean, in a school situation, if you've got a child who's that distressed, schools will know how many children use the disabled facilities mm -hmm. and they'll be able to assess and know whether that's suitable that that child now uses disabled facilities. But we yeah. won't say that about wider society because obviously disabled groups have fought long and hard for their own facilities and now don't want to share them with others but certainly yeah. in a school situation schools will know if that's an appropriate um, response or mm -hmm. another appropriate response may be that they ensure that um, that that child who is gender distressed uses the facilities for their own sex but the yeah. school makes sure that no other child is in there to start with yeah um so the the part the guidance from cheshire west uh says use of uh, it advocates use of toilets ch or changing rooms appropriate to their self-identified gender rather than the sex assigned to them at birth also that thing about assigned to them at birth it's not factual it's observed no, it's and it can be observed in utero so it's definitely um an ideological document you know, oh, it's language yeah. like that really sort of gives it away, doesn't it? And Suella Braverman then on toilets said, if the school did allow a trans girl to use the girls' toilets, this might be unlawful indirect discrimination against the female children. Further in law, there is a duty to provide separate single-sex toilets, a breach of which would be unlawful under the school premises England Regulations 2012 and the Education Independent School Standards Regulation 2014. And further, protecting girls' privacy, dignity and safety are eminently legitimate aims within the law. Um, so she has said that there is clearer schools guidance coming out in 
it's like around Christmas time or, or something like that. I think she indicated November, December. Um, so, but even just in the meantime, that's a real heads up, isn't it? You know, to councils and to schools that they need to be much more careful really about how they're phrasing these documents and the kinds of advice that they're giving out. Schools definitely need to be really careful if they're thinking of installing or rearranging the toilets to make them unisex or whatever in the way that Primark have done. Um, what else can we say in general? I think, the, I think what, yeah. what I picked up on looking at their, their template policy, one of the things I was really alarmed at was the glossary I found it really disturbing to see things like binding, packing and tucking wow. just, yeah. just just accepted and just listed in the glossary. All of these are safeguarding concerns. You've got mm. a child binding their breasts. That, that's no different to breast ironing that we're all alert to as a safeguarding concern. If you've got a child... Um, that upset about their own genitals that they're either mm. tucking or they're packing mm. that's something that needs some exploration that that child needs to talk to somebody about how they're feeling and why mm. they're feeling like that and what else is going on in their lives you, yeah. you can't just you, you can't just ignore something that could be an indicator well it is an indicator of a child that's really quite gender distressed and that child needs that child needs help and support and room to explore their feelings, mm. not just, oh, yes, you're you're doing that, you're binding your breasts, you're harming your genitals, yeah. that's all perfectly normal. We'll all yeah. just accept that and no one will try and help you. That That's yeah. not safeguarding that child. No, so that appendix is section, that's section one of the appendix where those terms are just casually thrown in and accepted, just, just unquestioned. And then um, appendix section two is amending the pupil name in Sims to a preferred name. So again, it's just affirm, affirm, affirm. Here's how you do it. You go to tools, setups, attendance setup module. You know, it just gives the instructions of how to do it. There's no discussion at all within the document, like you said, about what else might be going on and what an appropriate response might really need to look like, which is just so worrying. Um, what she also said, Suella Braverman, was um, about schools in general. She said the problem is that many schools and teachers believe incorrectly that they are under an absolute legal obligation to treat children who are gender questioning according to their preference in all ways and in all respects, from preferred pronouns to use of facilities and competing in sports. All this is sometimes taking place without informing their parents or, or taking into account the impact on other children. Anyone who questions such an approach is accused of transphobia. In my view, this approach is not supported by the law. So just so, so, so many red flags in terms of not just good practice, not just safeguarding, but also the legality of documents that kind of take this kind of a, an ideological approach. Um, so I really hope, I mean, if, if people, I will... Um, I'll, I'll somehow or other we'll attack we'll find a way of attaching this document to uh, the blurb underneath the video um, or I can put it on my website and we can put a link to it on there um, but if schools parents or whoever want to get sort of a breath of fresh air away from this ideology ideologically driven approach and they want to try and put together their own guidelines and their own policies you know maybe parents could work with schools and teachers even to sort of support that process certainly governors might want to be involved as you'd mentioned before where where can they find out more information and how can they get support to do that 
Um, well, if you have a look on our website under resources, we have a lot of different documents that will be helpful. We have, we've, we've basically tried to, in all our resources, break down the law and safeguarding in sort of like really easy to understand bite-sized pieces. So we've got our red flags document, which um, will allow you to very easily and quickly check any policy like this trans inclusion guidance and see if there are any problems with it. Um, mm -hmm. We've got a piece on the CAS review, which sort of breaks down what's come out from the interim report and what this means for school. We've got a document on socially transitioning um, children. We've got a fact sheet on toilets. There's lots of things on there. So if you just go to our website site, that's safeschoolsalliance.net and have a look at resources and okay. you should find a lot of things to help you there. Fabulous. I heard in one of your other interviews, I'll just ask you this before we go to questions, um, that um, well, there was a discussion around whether there is an alternative training package available for schools other than things like mermaids or some of the others that have been quite sort of ideological and problematic. So we've got we've got help and support with putting guidance together around policy, but the actual training that goes into schools for teachers and, and the education packages for children as well. And there was some discussion around maybe crowdfunding so that there was money to pay some people to sit and, and maybe put something together. Is that dream any closer to being a reality yet? Do you know? Um, I think at the moment we would recommend that people look on Transgender Trends um, website because they have a very good document for schools. And mm -hmm. also there's a website called Humanize, which has lots of helpful PSHE and RSE resources on um, for okay. the schools to use. We'd also recommend um, they look at um, UK feministers stuff on mm -hmm. challenging um, sexual harassment in schools because that all yeah. ties in and that's good as well. Okay. All right. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. We'll get those links and put them in the, in the, um, in the comment, in the uh, text underneath the video. Right. So we go to um, questions. We've got Archer John. I wondered if clumping a type of gender recognition was parochial or local too. A north-south division or an area schoolhouse style, that sort of thing. I don't know whether that relates to an earlier question. Can a school in a... Ah, right. Okay. Helen Bain asks, can a school in a multi-academy trust legally only provide unisex toilets? As a parent, could I request that my child has access to single-sex toilets? I think that's a really good question because I went in an academy trust the other day and they had um, a, a glass door so that all of it was visible and a row of hand you know wash basins and then they had toilets a row of toilets which had floor to ceiling doors um and there was no marking on them as to whether they were male or female so i'm assuming that's a an accept is that considered an accepted version of, of unisex toilets and is that an academy's trend at the moment um no children are entitled to single sex facilities and a unisex facility would be a cubicle where the toilet and the wash basin are all enclosed in a floor to ceiling room um right. it's that th they shouldn't have to be coming out and washing hands in a mixed sexed area because they are entitled to single sex facilities and okay. schools 
that are not providing children with single sex facilities um, need to be challenged on this because they're not keeping to the law. OK, I mean, maybe it was that it might have been the staff toilets, but in any case, it didn't say male or female on it. It definitely didn't. So it's it's unisex, whichever way. I mean, uh, they could certainly provide unisex in addition to their female and male toilets if they want to. Personally, yeah. we'd advise against that. We from a safeguarding point of view, but there's nothing mm -hmm. to legally stop them doing it. But it has to mm -hmm. be in addition. It can't be instead of. Fair enough. Um, Judith Wright asks, are there examples of schools being held accountable for harms done to children because of gender ideology? Um, there are a few that we're aware of in the pipeline at the moment. Um, there have been several schools that have backed down after um, legal letters sent to them or parents have made um, formal complaints. Nothing has come to court yet, but we think it's only a matter of time before it does. Yeah. Isn't it a nightmare that we have to take legal action and go through the rigmarole of taking someone to court in order to be able to grab back a semblance of sanity on some of these oh, things? It's absolutely. It's horrendous. It's, it's awful. So Helen Bain has asked, are schools that are part of multi-academy trusts still under the same requirements in law in terms of safeguarding and equalities, etc.? Are they able to make up their own guidelines or approach? Um, no, academies st still have to abide by the law of the country and safeguarding um, applies to all schools. Even yeah. if a school is an academy, the local authority is still responsible for overseeing them for safeguarding. Yeah. And the local authority can go in there and check up on their safeguarding um, without the school's permission. Yeah. OK. Can they, So the local authority can go and check up on safeguarding. Can they check up on any other area of compliance with equalities law? No, it's, no, it's just, just with regards to that. Local authorities still have authority over academies. OK. All right. I, I'm still learning about all of this. <laughs> um Okay, so um, I'm just thinking if there's any other points that we've missed over this. One of them was around age appropriateness. So this guidance doesn't, that this trans inclusion guide from Cheshire Western Chester doesn't mention, I don't think, which age. I didn't see it. I don't know if you saw it, but it doesn't say which age cohort of kids it refers to. Um, but clearly, you know, children develop. We know, we know that there are certain developmental milestones and one of the things that Stephanie Davis-Arai um, from Transgender Trend has talked about um, and, and has featured articles about on her website is that we know that um, up until about the age of seven, they haven't quite got sorted out within themselves exactly what the difference is between a boy, between a girl, which one they are. So to introduce concepts that are going to confuse kids around gender before that time, never mind to affirm and socially transition someone, surely that's a breach of, of safeguarding on the grounds of their not 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 respecting their developmental um, milestones and ability. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's damaging to all the children. When you're dealing with very young children, confusing them about what it means to be a girl or what it means to be a boy, that's very damaging to the child who's being transitioned and to mm. all their classmates. I mean, obviously, once you're up secondary school, these concepts can be discussed, that they'll need to be discussed. The children are reading about all this stuff online yeah. on the Internet, but it needs to be discussed as a contested belief. And some people believe you cannot present a contested belief to children as fact, no matter how old they are. Mm. I'm just going to read one final cracker from this document before we before we put it to bed for the night. So it says it is 
good practice to remove gender markers from registers. Be mindful where registers and gender markers get pulled into letters home. Ensure new names and pronouns are used for trans pupils if they are out at home. If they are not, then discuss with the trans pupil what they want to happen with correspondence home. I mean, that, that that's just horrifying, isn't it? We're back to yeah. keeping secrets from parents and that schools are not courts, they do not have the right to remove parental responsibility. Mm. And again, that's something that we have seen legal letters sent to schools about, particularly when schools have done this with really quite young children, talking about 12-year-olds, schools have transitioned behind parents' backs. Mm. We have seen legal letters go to schools about incidents like that. It's, It's removing a child from basic safeguarding frameworks, and it's stripping parents of their responsibilities, neither of which schools have the right to do. Yeah. So I'm not sure how many counsellors like me, you know, are really aware in depth of the thing, the guidance that's being given to schools in their name. um, And that is being implemented across schools with children of all ages across the whole of the country Um, and the power really that we have as counsellors to be able to speak up and do something about stopping this. So one of the things that I've done recently is I've set up this new thing called Counsellors Who Care. It was supposed to be counsellors who care about women, LGB rights and child safeguarding, but you can't fit all of that on Twitter. So (laughs) I've just shortened it to counsellors who care. So if you're a counsellor who cares about women's rights, about girls' rights, about LGB rights, because a lot of this ideology is extremely homophobic. We've we've mentioned about transing away the gay and concerns around that Um, and, and around child safeguarding and the impacts of this ideology on child safeguarding. There is now a network that you can join um, we've set up a signal group for counsellors who are concerned about this. It's cross-party. It's it's kind of all 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 in, really. You can belong to any political party or you can be independent. Um, we're not really talking about the greater politics. We're just talking about this particular one issue of policy capture within councils, within schools, etc. All of the different areas where councils have influence, where gender ideologies kind of manage to infiltrate. Um, so if you want to join us, you can email me on counselorswhocare at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Care Counselors, and you can follow me personally at, at Socialist Mandy. Um, we've had nearly 2,400, it might be over that number now, just in a couple of days since we've set up. Um, and we've got a little group on Signal and we're hoping to sort of grow from strength to strength. We've got people on there, mainly who are counsellors, but we've also got some people who've got expertise and insight, as you say, whether it's from Oxfordshire or from Bristol or other areas where they've been motions that have been brought to council that have been illegal or whether illegal guidance has been has had to be pulled as a result of legal action so um anyone who is a councillor is welcome to join and the other thing that's happened as a result of setting that network up is that i've had people contacted me with other all sorts of other concerns some of them relating to councils and what councils are doing so one respondent emailed to say that they had a complaint that was being processed at the moment um, about a local trans identifying counsellor who used a flag raising ceremony to give a highly contentious speech denigrating so-called so-called feminists that's what they said they called women so-called feminists who had had a problem um, and another had been in touch saying that they they were being bullied for objecting to the council support for drag queen story hour i mean this is what this is happening all over the country and what we need to do is we need to be talking about it more we need to be talking to each other more and we need to really be 
starting to be willing to put our hand up and be counted. I think it's really, really important. Any final last words from you, Tanya, before we sign off for the night? Um, no, just thank you for having me here. And yes, that's it. Speak up, be counted. Safeguarding is everyone's responsibility. Upholding democracy is everyone's responsibility. So speak up and thank you very much for having me on, Mandy. It's been great. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. Everybody, make sure that you like, make sure you subscribe, make sure that you share. Okay, cheers. See you next week. Bye.